Section 22 of Jurisprudence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jurisprudence by John Salmond. Chapter 15. Persons, Part 1. Section 108. The Nature of Personality. The purpose of this chapter is to investigate the legal conception of personality. It is not permissible to adopt the simple device of saying that a person means a human being, for even in the popular or non-legal use of the term, there are persons who are not men. Personality is a wider and vaguer term than humanity. Gods, angels, and the spirits of the dead are persons no less than men are and in the law this want of coincidence between the class of persons and that of human beings is still more marked in the law there may be men who are not persons slaves for example are destitute of legal personality in any system which regards them as incapable of either rights or liabilities like cattle they are things and the objects of rights not persons and the subjects of them conversely there are in the law persons who are not men a joint stock company or a municipal corporation is a person in legal contemplation it is true that it is only a fictitious not a real person but it is not a fictitious man it is personality not human nature that is fictitiously attributed by the law to bodies corporate so far as legal theory is concerned a person is any being whom the law regards as capable of rights or duties any being that is so capable is a person whether a human being or not and no being that is not so capable is a person even though he be a man persons are the substances of which rights and duties are the attributes it is only in this respect that persons possess juridical significance and this is the exclusive point of view from which personality receives legal recognition but we may go one step further than this in the analysis no being is capable of rights unless also capable of interests which may be affected by the acts of others for every right involves an underlying interest of this nature similarly no being is capable of duties unless also capable of acts by which the interests of others may be affected to attribute rights and duties therefore is to attribute interests and acts as their necessary basis a person then may be defined for the purposes of the law as any being to whom the law attributes a capability of interests and therefore of rights of acts and therefore of duties persons as so defined are of two kinds distinguishable as natural and legal a natural person is a being to whom the law attributes personality in accordance with reality and truth legal persons are beings real or imaginary to whom the law attributes personality by way of fiction when there is none in fact natural persons are persons in fact as well as in law legal persons are persons in law but not in fact section 109 the legal status of the lower animals the only natural persons are human beings 
beasts are not persons they are merely things often the objects of legal rights and duties but never the subjects of them beasts like men are capable of acts and possess interests yet their acts are neither lawful nor unlawful they are not recognized by the law as the appropriate subject matter either of permission or of prohibition archaic codes did not scruple it is true to punish with death in due course of law the beast that was guilty of homicide Quote, if an ox gore a man or a woman that they die then the ox shall be surely stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten End quote. a conception such as this pertains to a stage that is long since past but modern law shows us a relic of it in the rule that the owner of a beast is liable for its trespasses just as a master must answer for his servant or a slave owner for his slave this vicarious liability however does not involve any legal recognition of the personality of the animal whose misdeeds are thus imputed to its owner a beast is as incapable of legal rights as of legal duties for its interests receive no recognition from the law hominum causa omne jus constitutum the law is made for men and allows no fellowship or bonds of obligation between them and the lower animals if these last possess moral rights as utilitarian ethics at least need not scruple to admit those rights are not recognized by any legal system that which is done to the hurt of a beast may be a wrong to its owner or to the society of mankind but it is no wrong to the beast no animal can be the owner of any property even through the medium of a human trustee if a testator vests property in trustees for the maintenance of his favorite horses or dogs he will thereby create no valid trust enforceable in any way by or on behalf of those non-human beneficiaries the only effect of such provisions is to authorize the trustees if they think fit to expend the property or any part of it in the way so indicated and whatever part of it is not so spent will go to the testator's representatives as undisposed of there are however two cases in which beasts may be thought to possess legal rights in the first place cruelty to animals is a criminal offence and in the second place a trust for the benefit of particular classes of animals as opposed to one for individual animals is valid and enforceable as a public and charitable trust for example a provision for the establishment and maintenance of a home for stray dogs or broken-down horses are we driven by the existence of these cases to recognize the legal rights and therefore the legal personality of beasts there is no occasion for any such conflict with accustomed modes of thought and speech these duties towards animals are conceived by the law as duties towards society itself they correspond not to private rights vested in the immediate beneficiaries but to public rights vested in the community at large for the community has a rightful interest legally recognized to this extent in the well-being even of the dumb animals which belong to it section 110 the legal status of dead men dead men are no longer persons in the eye of the law 
they have laid down their legal personality with their lives and are now as destitute of rights as of liabilities they have no rights because they have no interests there is nothing that concerns them any longer quote, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun end quote they do not even remain the owners of their property until their successors enter upon their inheritance we have already seen how in the interval between death and the entering of the heir roman law preferred to personify the inheritance itself rather than attribute any continued legal personality or ownership to the dead man so in english law the goods of an estate before the grant of letters of administration have been vested in the bishop of the diocese or in the judge of the court of probate rather than left to the dead until they are in truth acquired by the living yet although all a man's rights and interests perish with him he does when alive concern himself much with what shall become of him and his after he is dead and the law without conferring rights upon the dead does in some degree recognize and take account after a man's death of his desires and interests when alive there are three things more especially in respect of which the anxieties of living men extend beyond the period of their deaths in such sort that the law will take notice of them these are a man's body his reputation and his estate by a natural illusion a living man deems himself interested in the treatment to be awarded to his own dead body to what extent does the law secure his desires in this matter a corpse is the property of no one it cannot be disposed of by will or any other instrument and no wrongful dealing with it can amount to theft the criminal law however secures decent burial for all dead men and the violation of a grave is a criminal offence every person dying in this country it has been judicially declared has a right to a christian burial on the other hand the testamentary directions of a man as to the disposal of his body are without any binding force save that by statute he is given the power of protecting it from the indignity of anatomical uses similarly a permanent trust for the maintenance of his tomb is illegal and void this being a purpose to which no property can be permanently devoted even a temporary trust for this purpose not offending against the rule against perpetuities has no other effect than that already noticed by us as attributed to trusts for animals its fulfilment being lawful but not obligatory property is for the uses of the living not of the dead the reputation of the dead receives some degree of protection from the criminal law a libel upon a dead man will be punished as a misdemeanor but only when its publication is in truth an attack upon the interests of living persons the right so attacked and so defended is in reality not that of the dead but that of his living descendants to this extent and in this manner only has the maxim de mortuis nil nisi bonum obtained legal recognition and obligation by far the most important matter however in which the desires of dead men are allowed by the law to regulate the actions of the living is that of testamentary succession for many years after a man is dead 
his hand may continue to regulate and determine the disposition and enjoyment of the property which he owned while living this however is a matter which will receive attention more fitly in another place section one hundred eleven the legal status of unborn persons though the dead possess no legal personality it is otherwise with the unborn there is nothing in law to prevent a man from owning property before he is born his ownership is necessarily contingent indeed for he may never be born at all but it is none the less a real and present ownership a man may settle property upon his wife and the children to be born of her or he may die intestate and his unborn child will inherit his estate yet the law is careful lest property should be too long withdrawn in this way from the uses of living men in favour of generations yet to come and various restrictive rules have been established to this end no testator could now direct his fortune to be accumulated for a hundred years and then distributed among his descendants a child in its mother's womb is for many purposes regarded by a legal fiction as already born in accordance with the maxim nasaturus pro gem nato habitur in the words of coke quote, the law in many cases hath consideration of him in respect of the apparent expectation of his birth end quote. to what extent an unborn person can possess personal as well as proprietary rights is a somewhat unsettled question it has been held that a posthumous child is entitled to compensation under lord campbell's act for the death of his father wilful or negligent injury inflicted on a child in the womb by reason of which it dies after having been born alive amounts to murder or manslaughter a pregnant woman condemned to death is respited as of right until she has been delivered of her child on the other hand in a case in which a claim was made by a female infant against a railway company for injuries inflicted upon her while in her mother's womb through a collision due to the defendant's negligence it was held by an irish court that no cause of action was disclosed the decision of two of the four judges however proceeded upon the ground that the company owed no duty of care towards a person whose existence was unknown to them and not upon the ground that an unborn child has in no case any right of immunity from personal harm the rights of an unborn person whether proprietary or personal are all contingent on his birth as a living human being the legal personality attributed to him by way of anticipation falls away ab initio if he never takes his place among the living abortion is a crime but it is not homicide unless the child is born alive before he dies a posthumous child may inherit but if he dies in the womb or is stillborn his inheritance fails to take effect and no one can claim through him though it would be otherwise if he lived for an hour after his birth section one hundred twelve double personality it often happens that a single human being possesses a double personality he is one man but two persons unus homo it is said plures personas sustinet in one capacity 
or in one right as english lawyers say he may have legal relations with himself in his other capacity or right he may contract with himself or owe money to himself or transfer property to himself every contract debt obligation or assignment requires two persons but those two persons may be the same human being this double personality exists chiefly in the case of trusteeship a trustee is as we have seen a person in whom the property of another is nominally vested to the intent that he may represent that other in the management and protection of it a trustee therefore is for many purposes two persons in the eyes of the law in right of his beneficiary he is one person and in his own right he is another in the one capacity he may owe money to himself in the other in the one capacity he may own an encumbrance over property which belongs to himself in the other he may be his own creditor or his own landlord as where a testator appoints one of his creditors as his executor or makes one of his tenants the trustee of his land in all such cases were it not for the recognition of double personality the obligation or encumbrance would be destroyed by merger or confusio as the romans called it for two persons at least are requisite for the existence of a legal relation no man can in his own right be under any obligation to himself or own any encumbrance over his own property nulli res sua servit section one hundred thirteen legal persons a legal person is any subject matter to which the law attributes a merely legal or fictitious personality this extension for good and sufficient reasons of the conception of personality beyond the limits of fact this recognition of persons who are not men is one of the most noteworthy feats of the legal imagination and the true nature and uses of it will form the subject of our consideration during the remainder of this chapter the law in creating legal persons always does so by personifying some real thing such a person has to this extent a real existence and it is his personality alone that is fictitious there is indeed no theoretical necessity for this since the law might if it so pleased attribute the quality of personality to a purely imaginary being and yet attain the ends for which this fictitious extension of personality is devised personification however conduces so greatly to simplicity of thought and speech that its aid is invariably accepted the thing personified may be termed the corpus of the legal person so created it is the body into which the law infuses the animus of a fictitious personality although all fictitious or legal personality involves personification the converse is not true personification in itself is a mere metaphor not a legal fiction legal personality is a definite legal conception personification as such is a mere artifice of speech devised for compendious expression in popular language and in legal language also when strictness of speech is not called for the device of personification is extensively used we speak of the estate of a deceased person 
as if it were itself a person we say that it owes debts or has debts owing to it or is insolvent the law however recognizes no legal personality in such a case the rights and liabilities of a dead man devolve upon his heirs executors and administrators not upon any fictitious person known as his estate similarly we speak of a piece of land as entitled to a servitude such as a right of way over another piece so also in the case of common interests and actions we personify as a single person the group of individuals concerned even though the law recognizes no body corporate we speak of a firm as a person distinct from the individual partners we speak of a jury a bench of judges a public meeting the community itself as being itself a person instead of merely a group or society of persons but legal personality is not reached until the law recognizes over and above the associated individuals a fictitious being which in a manner represents them but is not identical with them legal persons being the arbitrary creations of the law may be of as many kinds as the law pleases those which are actually recognized by our own system however all fall within a single class namely corporations or bodies corporate a corporation is a group or series of persons which by a legal fiction is regarded and treated as itself a person if however we take account of other systems than our own we find that the conception of legal personality is not so limited in its application and that there are at least three different varieties they are distinguished by reference to the different kinds of things which the law selects for personification one the first class of legal persons consists of corporations as already defined namely those which are constituted by the personification of groups or series of individuals the individuals who thus form the corpus of the legal person are termed its members we shall consider this form of fictitious personality more particularly in the sequel two the second class is that in which the corpus or object selected for personification is not a group or series of persons but an institution the law may if it pleases regard a church or a hospital or a university or a library as a person that is to say it may attribute personality not to any group of persons connected with the institution but to the institution itself our own law does not indeed so deal with the matter the person known to the law of england as the university of london is not the institution that goes by that name but a personified and incorporated aggregate of human beings namely the chancellor vice-chancellor fellows and graduates it is well to remember however that notwithstanding this tradition and practice of english law fictitious personality is not limited by any logical necessity or indeed by any obvious requirement of expediency to the incorporation of bodies of individual persons three the third kind of legal person is that in which the corpus is some fund or estate devoted to special uses a charitable fund for example or a trust estate or the property of a dead man or of a bankrupt 
here also english law prefers the process of incorporation if it chooses to personify at all it personifies not the fund or the estate but the body of persons who administer it yet the other way is equally possible and may be equally expedient the choice of the corpus into which the law shall breathe the breath of a fictitious personality is a matter of form rather than of substance of lucid and compendious expression rather than of legal principle section one hundred fourteen corporations we have now to consider more particularly the nature and purposes of the legal conception of incorporation inasmuch as legal personality goes no further than this in english law much of what is said in this special connection however will be applicable mutatis mutandis to the other classes of legal persons also corporations are of two kinds distinguished in english law as corporations aggregate and corporations sole persons says coke quote, are of two sorts persons natural created of god and persons incorporate or politic created by the policy of man and therefore they are called bodies politic and those be of two sorts that is either sole or aggregate of many a corporation aggregate is an incorporated group of coexisting persons and a corporation's sole is an incorporated series of successive persons the former is that which has several members at a time while the latter is that which has only one member at a time corporations aggregate are by far the more numerous and important examples are a registered company consisting of all the shareholders and a municipal corporation consisting of the inhabitants of the borough corporations sole are found only when the successive holders of some public office are incorporated so as to constitute a single permanent and legal person the sovereign for example is a corporation of this kind at common law while the postmaster-general the solicitor to the treasury and the secretary of state for war have been endowed by a statute with the same nature it is essential to recognize clearly the element of legal fiction involved in both those forms of incorporation for this has been made by some writers a matter of dispute a company is in law something different from its shareholders or members the property of the company is not in law the property of the shareholders the debts and liabilities of the company are not attributed in law to its members the company may become insolvent while its members remain rich contracts may be made between the company and a shareholder as if between two persons entirely distinct from each other the shareholders may become so reduced in number that there is only one of them left but he and the company will be distinct persons for all that Quote, may we not go further still and say that a company is capable of surviving the last of its members at common law indeed a corporation is dissolved by the death of all its members there is however no logical necessity for any such rule and it does not apply to corporations sole for beings of this sort lead a continuous life notwithstanding the intervals between the death or retirement of each occupant of the office and the appointment of his successor 
nor is there any reason to suppose that such a ground of dissolution is known to the trading corporations which are incorporated under the company's acts being established by statute they can be dissolved only in manner provided by the statute to which they owe their origin the representatives of a deceased shareholder are not themselves members of the company unless they become registered as such with their own consent if therefore on the death of the last surviving members of a private company their executors refuse or neglect to be registered in their stead the company will no longer have any members is it for that reason ipso jure dissolved if not it is clear that since a company can survive its members and exist without them it must be something entirely distinct from them End quote. in all these respects a corporation is essentially different from an unincorporated partnership a firm is not a person in the eye of the law it is nothing else than the sum of its individual members there is no fictitious being standing over against the partners as a company stands over against its shareholders the property and debts of the firm are nothing else than those of the partners a change in the list of partners is the substitution of a new firm for the old one and there is no permanent legal unity as in the case of the company there can be no firm which consists of one partner only as a company may consist of one member the incorporation of a firm that process by which an ordinary partnership is transformed into a company effects fundamental change in the legal relations of its members it is nothing less than the birth of a new being to whom the whole business and property of the partnership is transferred a being without soul or body not visible save to the eye of the law but of a kind whose power and importance wealth and activity are already great and grow greater every day in the case of corporations soul the fictitious nature of their personality is equally apparent the chief difficulty in apprehending the true nature of a corporation of this description is that it bears the same name as the natural person who is its sole member for the time being and who represents it and acts for it each of them is the sovereign or the solicitor to the treasury or the secretary of state for war nevertheless under each of these names two persons live one is a human being administering for the time being the duties and affairs of the office he alone is visible to the eyes of laymen the other is a mythical being whom only lawyers know of and whom only the eye of the law can perceive he is the true occupant of the office he never dies or retires the other the person of flesh and blood is merely his agent and representative through whom he performs his functions the living official comes and goes but this offspring of the law remains the same for ever the doctrine that corporations are personae fictae though generally received has not passed unchallenged attempts have been made in recent years especially by german jurists to establish in place of it a new theory which regards corporate personality as a reality and not a fictitious construction of the law a corporation it is said is nothing more in law or in fact 
than the aggregate of its members conceived as a unity and this unity this organization of human beings is a real person and a living organism possessed of a real will of its own and capable of actions and of responsibility for them just as a man is with respect to this theory it is to be observed that even if applicable to corporations aggregate it must leave corporations sole and the other classes of legal persons to be explained in the older fashion and even in the case of corporations aggregate it seems impossible to admit that their personality is anything more than the outcome of metaphor and fiction a society is not a person but a number of persons the so-called will of a company is in reality nothing but the wills of a majority of its directors or shareholders ten men do not become in fact one person because they associate themselves together for one end any more than two horses become one animal when they draw the same cart the apparent absurdity of holding that a rich and powerful joint stock company is a mere fiction of the law and possesses no real existence proceeds not from the fiction theory but from a misunderstanding of it no one denies the reality of the company that is to say the group of shareholders what is in truth denied is the reality of its personality a group or society of men is a very real thing but it is only a fictitious person End quote. End of section 22.